This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 60 is upon us. This episode is coming to you a little earlier than usual. You know, I wanted to test out doing multiple episodes a week, and it may be something that I do more frequently in the future, but no better time to test than today. There's a lot more content coming your way from Subway to Shea, and like I said, a lot to talk about today with some big news, not only today, but this past weekend. Definitely since the last time I saw you and talked with you on, I think it was possibly Thursday after the St. Louis Cardinals series, a lot happened in that Philadelphia Phillies series, but we start off with the most recent big news happening, and that is the roster cuts today from 28-man roster to 26-man roster, and some big news coming out of that. Obviously, we all thought maybe it would be Sean Reed Foley who would be sent down as one of the players, but He's going to the injured list with a right UCL tear. Hopefully, gets a speedy recovery and gets well soon. If you saw the game on Saturday, you saw him through a pitch that it just looked like he, you know, really hurt his arm there. He was frustrated. He was upset. And um, we wish nothing but the best in recovery for Sean Reed Foley. Well, that leaves us with a couple of other options. We talked a lot about it in the last podcast. Who would be sent down? One guy that got sent down that I didn't mention because I didn't think he would factor into this at all, but the Mets optioned Jan Lopez, the aka the enforcer, as I was told on Twitter, the Met legend who threw at Nolan Arenado. He threw at Kyle Schwarber on a Sunday when Schwarber was hitting bombs all over the place. He brushed Schwarber back. He hit Alex Bohm. And um, he did his part to, you know, state claim that, like, the Mets aren't to be messed around with. I know he's a rookie and all, but he did his part. He got sent down. But the big name to get sent or to get designated for assignment was Robinson Cano. It finally has happened. Robinson Cano was designated for assignment. And, you know, we look back at the trade. We look back at his stats. And we're going to do that shortly a lot of people didn't think it would ever happen that Robinson Cano would be, you know, DFA'd, but he was. You know, the $40 million withstanding, he was sent down. He had the worst start of any of the players in the season, and, you know, there was other options that could have been done, but Robinson Cano was the most logical. The only thing holding back was that $40 million tag, and that seems to not be an issue. Let's look back at what Robinson Cano did with the Mets. Obviously, he was suspended for last season because of uh, the uh, steroid issue for the, the, you know, substance issue. This season, to start off the year, not a good start. Eight hits in 41 at-bats. He has one home run, three RBIs, and he's batting 195. 
Not a good start in his tenure as a Met. 2019 was, I guess, a, a, a frustrating season for him. 13 home runs, 39 RBIs, batting 256. 2020 was way better in that shortened season. 10 home runs, 30 RBIs, batting 316. But his tenure as a Met, uh, quite possibly over, wasn't great. 24 home runs, 72 RBIs, 269 batting average, a 315 OBP, 450 slugging, and an OPS of 765. The trade that brought Robinson Cano here. Everyone talks about it all the time. They keep saying it's a bust. I'm going to tell you why I don't feel that just yet, but the trade that brought Robinson Cano here and Edwin Diaz, who was really the centerpiece of the trade coming back to the Mets, got traded for Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, Gerson Batista, and prospects Jared Kalenic and Justin Dunn. This was during the first offseason for Brody Van Wagenen trying to make a statement, trying to make a name for himself. No Mets fan, I think, was really happy about the trade. I was okay with it because we were bringing in Edwin Diaz to close. Nobody knew that Edwin Diaz would have such a horrific 2019, but he's pitched better since. 2020, he pitched better. 2021, way better than that. And he has been lights out to start the 2022 season. Obviously, we know he struggled in some big spots. He struggled, you know, when the game is tied. Um, He's been given up big hits. But this season so far has been pretty good for Edwin Diaz. Is it a bust? We talked about that, and I'm going to tell you why I don't think it's a bust. It's not a bust because... Because it depends on how Edwin Diaz's tenure ends with the Mets. We are going to find out. Obviously, he's going to be a free agent. Will the Mets re-sign him in this offseason? There's not a lot of options for closing. And I mentioned this on Twitter that, you know, a lot of people hold. And you can say that maybe Mo is not the right person to talk about because he's Hall of Fame elite level closer. But when people talk about closers, especially in the postseason, Mariano Rivero has always been the standard, right? I mean, I guess if you're going to compare to other closers presently, a hater maybe, maybe one of the guys, but Edwin Diaz has been pretty good as a closer, and we're going to see how this all ends, if it ends this season, if they re-sign him and keep it going. But he was always the centerpiece of that trade. Um, Jared Kalenic has not had a great start to his Major League Baseball career. He was the centerpiece going to the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, it could have been other players. Uh, Jeff McNeil was thought about in that trade. Andres Jimenez was thought about in that trade. And the Mets never gave up those guys. Obviously, Jimenez goes to Cleveland for Francisco Lindor. We're holding on to Jeff McNeil, and it seems like Jeff McNeil's got himself back on track. The old Jeff McNeil's back. So what happens now? Mets are on the hook for 39 to $40 million for Robinson Cano, and it makes me wonder, it has to, all of us, that money was not the absolute deciding factor here in letting him go. You know, in years past, and we're always going to compare, because Steve Cohen has the money. If the Wilpons own this team, that Robinson Cano would not have been released. They would not have made that tough decision. And that's why I'm happy that Cohen and company didn't Wilpon this. The Wilpon era is over. Those ridiculous moves of of getting rid of players that we would need, like a Justin Turner, uh, Angel Pagan, um, 
there's so many guys that we let go to hold on to players that the Mets, you know, mistakenly spend so much money for. So I'm glad that this is the route they went. And we're going to get into the other players that are kind of saved from this and, and, and what they've done. Um, an interesting tweet from Mike Puma earlier on talking about this. And he goes on saying, One thing that shouldn't be underestimated, Steve Cohen is on Twitter. He listens to the fans. He listens to the booze Cano has heard. He realizes this was an unpopular player among the paying customers. If a tiebreaker on the DFA decision was needed, this may have been it. I, I gotta disagree here. I can't see... Steve Cohen making his decision based on what we all think. Obviously, he's on Twitter and he interacts with the fans, but when you have a decision that involves your money, $40 million of your money, and you're paying guys like Billy Epler, Buck Showalter, and the rest of the front office to make decisions like this, the final decision is going to come from the fans? If that was the case, shouldn't we all get a World Series ring if the Mets win the World Series? I can't see the fans having that much input. Yes, we talk a lot on Twitter and we make our thoughts and uh, everything known. The most impact the fans have had on decision-making is bringing back Old Timers Day, Banner Day, and those black jerseys. That's when Steve Cohen has listened to us the most. So I kind of have to disagree with what Puma said. Uh, he then goes on, because he tweeted me back when I posted this. He said that there was serious debate within the organization on whether to keep Cano. This wasn't a slam dunk decision by the front office. As well, it shouldn't be. You're talking about $40 million here. And let's forget the fact that Steve Cohen is the richest owner in baseball and, and probably in sports. Obviously, he can drop that money, but it's... Still, $40 million. It's not our money. It's his. So I would be concerned if they didn't take the time to think about this decision. Clearly they did. And clearly Robinson Cano is not a part of the Mets' future. Because they have other players, younger players, that can fill that role. Obviously his leadership is what people keep bringing up. How much of a leader could Robinson Cano be, especially coming off of the two stints being suspended? There are a lot of leaders on that Mets team. You know, I'm thinking about this right now. If there was no Max Scherzer, if there was no Buck Showalter on this team, maybe Robinson Cano stays. Maybe he is that veteran, that leader. But with a Max Scherzer, with a... Buck Showalter on the team. You got new leaders in Francisco Lindor. Pete Alonso is learning how to lead. You got all the new players that add elements to the team. Uh, I, I, Chris Bassett, obviously DeGrom coming back. It made Robinson Cano expendable. What also made Robinson Cano expendable was the night Dom Smith had last night because he was on the fence. And then he goes and goes four for four, had Big RBIs to stake his claim on why he should stay. We're going to get into that a little more later. But what this does now, and what I hope it does, is this opens up some breathing room for the bench, which is very strong in my opinion. Will this relax a Dom Smith, relax a J.D. Davis now that they are not on the mend? Now that they have more at-bats, whether coming from the DH position or when um, Dom Smith spells first base for Pete Alonso. This is big for, for Dom Smith. He's going to get more bats now. J.D. Davis, he's going to be a part of that offense more often than not. And there was already three players that you cannot get rid of. 
Tomas Nito, because there's no backup catcher yet. Travis Jankowski, who I've gone to bat for since the beginning of the season. His defense, his speed, and he's hit every time he's been put in the lineup. Everything that Buck Showalter wants in a player, especially a bench player, Jankowski has delivered. He is what Albert Amora Jr. should have been last year. And then you have Luis Guillorme, who's a super utility infielder. You couldn't get rid of him. So it came down to J.D. Davis and Dom Smith, who had options. And then you had Robinson Cano, who obviously, if they were going to bring him back, it was for the $40 million because he was hitting the worst out of everyone. So I'm glad the Mets kind of made the right decision here in letting Robinson Cano go. Obviously, you're not going to win with the media on this one. They get rid of Cano and we get what we've heard, you know, like from the Mike Puma that the fans made this decision or, you know, they they keep him and it's why did they keep him? Why did Steve Cohen keep him? It's the $40 million thing that got rid of the younger players. So it's really a a no-win situation for Steve Cohen, but you got to do what you got to do. And the Mets did that. They are trending upward. They're in first place right now. They had a great record, the best record in Major League Baseball right now. You got to keep those good vibes going. And if Cano wasn't carrying his own weight, he was going to have to go. And he did. So his tenure is quite possibly over with the New York Mets. We'll see what happens moving forward. I mentioned Dom Smith having a big game this weekend. The Mets took care of business against the Philadelphia Phillies. They won seven series in a row right now. It's the most in franchise history. More than any team this year has won And it's a great start. The first seven series the Mets have won. They keep accumulating wins. They keep accumulating winning series. They're building up that lead and winning in the division. Sunday's game, we talked about Dom Smith. He had one heck of a game to save his tenure with the Mets for this time being. He went four for four. He had one run, three RBIs. He's batting 250 now after that game. How about Jeff McNeil? He's been out of this world. Four for five, two runs, one RBI. He's batting 361. Eduardo Escobar had a good game, two for five. The Mets came to play. They beat the Phillies 10 to six, winning the series. And they picked up Max Scherzer, who had a really rough start. I think that was his roughest start with the Mets so far. Kyle Schwarber took him deep twice. Uh, Harper took him deep. He gave up four runs in uh, six innings pitched. But like he's done for most of the season, picking up this team and keeping them in games, the Mets offense did the same for him. And now he's 4-0 with a 2.61 ERA. Even on an off day, he impacts this team. They've won all five of his starts so far. He's such a leader leading this pitching staff. You could not have asked for more from him. If you look at his stats, he, I think starting from last season, that this, he is 11-0. He hasn't lost a game since being traded to the Dodgers last season. He started off the season with Washington, 8-4. Then he goes 7-0 with the Dodgers with a 1.98 ERA. Comes to the Mets, 4-0 with a 2.61 ERA. He's got 11 wins and no losses. That's amazing. And I'm glad that the Mets have not DeGromed this with Scherzer and they're winning games for him. And I hope that when DeGrom comes back, they do the same thing for him. We got another pitcher returned on Saturday. Not DeGrom, but Taiwan Walker returned. He pitched very well. Five innings pitched, two hits, zero runs, no uh, two walks, and one strikeout. They did lose that game. The bullpen blew it without a vino. The Mets weren't scoring, but the Mets did take the series. And we're going backwards now, right? We started with Sunday, Saturday. 
Saturday, and I can't believe this is the last thing that we're going to talk about today, and it's the combined no-hitter that took place Friday, the second no-hitter in New York Mets history Friday night, Mets wearing those black jerseys. A lot of a lot of good things happen in those uh, black jerseys, and it's nice to see five pitchers were involved in this no-hitter. Tyler McGill started it off, five innings pitched, no runs, three walks, no hits, five strikeouts. Then you got Drew Smith for 1.1 innings. He had one walk, four strikeouts. Joely Rodriguez came in for one inning, had two walks. Seth Lugo, 0.2 innings, or two-thirds innings, if however you want to say it. Edwin Diaz closed it out, one inning, three strikeouts. It was an unreal night, an unreal thing to witness. Tyler McGill continues to roll along and be an important part of this rotation. Thought he needed more seasoning in AAA, but I'm so glad I'm wrong. Think it's having all that veteran starters in his ear. You got Max Scherzer, you got Bassett, obviously DeGrom, and they're teaching him along with Hefner. Obviously, Carlos Carrasco, also a veteran. These guys are helping Tyler McGill grow into this pitcher, and it's a beautiful sight. Happy to see it. Most impressive during this whole combined no-hitter was Edwin Diaz. We talked about him earlier today. It's the best he's ever looked in a high-leverage situation. Struck out the heart of the Phillies lineup. Harper, Schwarber, Real Muto, good afternoon, good evening, good night, Dunzo. I also want to give credit to James McCann. I know a lot of people get on McCann for his hitting. He's not been doing well hitting, but he catches a good game. He plays good defense, and if he can hit maybe around 220, 230, and do what he's doing with the pitching staff, you gotta be excited for that. You don't have to be ecstatic, but him giving us that, kind of like in the, you know, the, obviously the Jerry Grody days where he would hit 240, 250, but him running the starters with Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, Jerry Kuzman, Matt Lack, you know, him, a gentry. Uh, if McCann can produce that way, that would be great. And I think this is James McCann's second no-hitter. He did one with Lucas Giolito in Chicago. So that's his second no-hitter. Crazy to think about. But let's talk a little bit about stats and history since we're on that topic. Combined no-hitters, okay? It's harder than a regular debate, right, to think about here. Obviously, a regular no-hitter is a big deal, right? And probably even a bigger deal than this combined no-no. Johan Santana, you can't compare Johan Santana's no-hitter to what happened on Friday night, right? But there have been 315 no-hitters in the ALNL history by one pitcher. 17 no-hitters are combined. So it's not an easy task. You got people coming in from the bullpen with the pressure on them and having to get three outs, uh, some having to get more and then leaving the game and then someone else has to get fresh and contain that no-hitter. It's not easy. Not saying it's better, not saying it's fun, but it's important. Looking at this, there's only been 23 perfect games in baseball history. 23 perfect games, 17 combined no-hitters, and 315 no-hitters. I feel like last year there was so many no-hitters. What does this mean for the franchise? Well, 
obviously it's so rare for the team. They had their first one in 2012 with Johan Santana. It's fitting that it was 10 years after the whole Nohan where he threw his no-hitter against the Cardinals. And he made sure to comment on the whole situation. I think he was in Spain when he left his tweet. Yeah, he goes, I'm in Spain and just woke up to this no-no. Congrats to the Mets team and pitching staff. Enjoy New York fans. And yes, that last line is very important because on Twitter on Friday, there was a couple of fans that were downgrading how important this combined no-hitter was. And, you know, I have to say, I'm celebrating this combined no-hitter. And I'm pretty sure you all were as well. And people are saying it doesn't count because one pitcher didn't do it. Only Johans matters. And then when I celebrated Johan Santana's no-hitter, it didn't count either because, you know, Beltran really got that hit. And I mean, you can't satisfy everybody. But all I can tell you is to enjoy this, fans. Enjoy this run that the Mets are going on right now. I know it's only been a month, but you can't wait until if the Mets win a World Series, I can be happy and excited. You can be excited about anything you want. If they win a game against the Braves, be excited about it. Enjoy it. Don't let anyone tell you what you can enjoy and what you can't enjoy. Enjoy the run while it lasts. This team is enjoyable. They have done some good things this month. They're hitting. They're pitching. They're leading by example. They have a great leader in Buck Showalter. The ownership is there. The front office is there. It's a changing of the guard. Like I said, the Wilpon era is over. Enjoy this, Met fans. You deserve it. We deserve to be happy, even if it's every once in a while. Heck, you've heard the story from me. I was born two weeks after the Mets won in 86, so I've never seen a World Series. But there are moments that I've gotten to enjoy. The Ventura Grand Slam single, the 2000 pennant, 2006, 2015 pennant, Yuan Santana no-hitter, the two Cy Youngs from Jacob deGrom. There are things to be excited about. This franchise is not all doom and gloom all the time. And when it is doom and gloom, we have to remember the good times and enjoy the good times because that's all we have. So enjoy this, Met fans. Like I said, we deserve this. Enjoy it. Now, my final notes before this train leaves this station. Mets had a great April, finished 15-7. and seven. Uh, Yesterday was the 1st of May. And to finish off the Philly series, the Mets are now 16-7, and seven. Three games above the Miami Marlins, who are 12 and 9. Philadelphia is at 11 and 12, five games back. Atlanta, 10 and 13, six games back. And Washington is 8 and 16, eight and a half games back. The Mets are 7 and 3 in their last 10. Their run differential is plus 37, and that's all you can ask for, right? This team struggled offensively, and now they are hitting on all cylinders, and I hope it lasts all season. There's a huge week coming up. The Mets Let's take on the Braves for four games, including a double dip on Tuesday before they head out to a four-game set in Philadelphia. This is a big series coming up for the New York Mets. Going on the mound in Game 1 will be Chris Bassett against Max Freed. Then you got the doubleheader. You'll have Carlos Carrasco going in Game 1. Game 2 is to be determined. And then on Wednesday, Tyler McGill looks to go 5-0 and against, so far, Ian Anderson, who has had a pretty decent start, 2-1 with a 4.66 ERA. All I'm going to say is this. We're going to end it on this. The Atlanta Braves right now are 10 and 13, six games back. I know it's not a lot. I know it's early, but please make 
a statement against the defending world champions. Keep winning games. Keep winning series. Take care of business. That is all. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this kind of like emergency podcast. And uh, I'm going to do more of these. Uh, There's going to be more content coming your way. I promise you that. There's a YouTube element that I'm going to start bringing in on the show. I'm going to do some stuff on Instagram. I'm going to do a little more Twitter spaces to get your input because I want to hear from you. I love talking with all you. But for right now, please follow Subway to Shea on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms that I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know that you like this podcast, and let them know that they should be listening as well. If you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is right now without your support. Subway to Shea is also global. This podcast is not only played in the U.S., but also reaches across the globe. And no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better for you each and every week. And by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving comments in the review section. You can help me to help make this show better. I love the input. I love hearing from all of you. And I hope that that continues. You can also rate the show on Spotify. That's a feature on there as well. And don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan side and network at fan sided. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.